Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. Let's look at Hebrews 11. I'll refer to another verse in Colossians later on. Hebrews 11:3. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. This is the starting point of Christianity, and of course creation is the starting point of the Bible. It begins with creation, and we understand God first as creator. Through faith, we see the world is lit up with the grandeur of God. And this verse tells us that this understanding, you know, that there is creation and creator, that it's through faith. That is the created status of the world. I don't think it's a fact that's available in the world apart from revelation. Otherwise, the tendency, without revelation, the tendency is to worship the creation. And we see this in the world's religions and world philosophies. It's to imagine that creation is divine or to say that there is nothing outside of the world and maybe a form of atheism or pantheism. Though we find in philosophy, such as that of Plato and Aristotle, the argument, yes, there is something like a creator, But, of course, this is a very different sort of God and a very different created order than what we have in the Bible. And the danger, I think, is that we lapse into something like a Greek or a pagan view in which there is an eternal divide between the creator and the creation. So Plato's forms or place of divine ideas They just reduce the world to mere shadows, very similar to a Hindu notion. Aristotle's unmoved mover is impersonal and unreachable. And Plato and Aristotle typify not only philosophy, but pagan religion. They're just sort of summing up the religion of their day. And God, in that understanding, is more like a force of nature or a distant power, and he's really not a person. And the divide between God and the world, or a philosophical dualism, I think this expresses not just a philosophical or religious problem, but it actually expresses a personal problem. The antagonism, alienation, you know, the agonism or violence, which poses itself in the human condition when that condition is thought to be grounded or is grounded on human wisdom alone. That is, God is distant, unknowable, and more of a thing than a person in this understanding. And the false teaching that the New Testament, a large part of the New Testament, it often deals with, maybe we could call it Gnosticism. I don't know if that's the right word for it. But at any rate, it's a case in point of the human problem. 
To find God requires, you know, in this Gnostic or false understanding, secret knowledge or ascetic practices or ecstatic experiences or a departure from the world. And God is distant and hard to find. And this false teaching may have been mixed, in fact, with Greek thought. So that in Platonism, you know, there, there is no answer as to how to deal with the intelligible ground of the world or how that is connected to the world. And this is actually the Aristotelian critique of Platonism. But Aristotle then posits the unconditional eternality of the world and his unmoved mover is just an impersonal force. And so Aristotelianism amounts to either a dualism between a distant God and the world or a monism in which the world includes its cause. And I'm telling you this stuff because actually this is just sort of the choices that are given to us outside of Christianity. Platonism divides created and uncreated Sophia or wisdom and the Aristotelianism there's an ambiguity whether it's a monism or a dualism. And so the danger is that the world will be lost as in pantheism in which God or the divine force is everything or the opposite, that God will be lost in the world. So pantheistic or atheistic monism on the one hand, and the dualistic conception of creation on the other. And human wisdom and thought, I think, just gives rise to these characteristic forms of human religion. That philosophy, psychology, religion, uh, they really reduce to the same sorts of forms. In one instance, monism or sameness, or in another instance, difference or dualism. And actually these even aren't that different because, you know, every thesis antithesis reduces to some synthesis. And so monism in its materialistic form would obliterate the spiritual. And in its spiritual form, it would deny materialistic reality. On the other hand, dualistic atheism is a kind of subjugation to Satanism, where the prince of this world is the black god and pretends to occupy a place alongside God. And so the problem is not one that we are free of, the Greek philosophical problem or the human problem, of in some way providing an integrity for the world and for God where the world can find existence alongside God's absoluteness. The world finds itself either in a kind of anti-God or minus God or there's a reification of nothing. And this is actually what creation ex nihilo should teach us, that either we believe in creation by God or actually the alternatives that I've just described to you amount to nothing. And while religion and philosophy, you know, they build upon this dualism, I think that can be easily dismissed, but what is undeniable and what we are faced with in the problematic that arises even for Christians 
is the tendency is in overcoming dualism that we'll just fall into some form of monism and say, well, God is everything. Or that we'll say there is nothing outside of the world and that there is nothing alongside of God. And so the choice from even a Christian standpoint is either the world directly has its being in the divine act of creation or it's imagined to have being in nothing. This is Sergei Bulgakov, as he's put it. The world is created by God. It is his creation. The world's existence is a special modality of being. In this sense, the world is grounded in God's divine being. And for the world, there is no other ground or place of being except this createdness by God, except this special mode of divine being. And the fact that the world is created out of nothing means only that the world exists in God and only by God. For the world does not have within itself the ground of its own being. In itself, the world is groundless. It is established on top of an abyss. And this abyss is nothing. Think of John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being. Here is the doctrine of creation ex nihilo. God created out of Himself, out of nothing. And nothing ain't something. It's nothing. That is, there's only God. Nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And so John teaches, the New Testament teaches, the Bible teaches, creation ex nihilo. This is where we begin. But I'm afraid that in the West, not only in theology, but in popular imagination, we seem to have relinquished this understanding. So in what is called Thomism or, you know, Thomas Aquinas or kind of a scholastic and patristic thought, they turn to Aristotle to explain the Bible. I'm not saying that's inherently wrong, but in this case, I think it's profoundly wrong. That is, they turn to a notion of causality, positing God as first cause or prime mover, and the world is what is moved. But the problem is cause and motion do not transcend the world. The first cause is part of a causal chain, supposedly linking God and the world, yet we really don't encounter God in this chain. And so the end result, either God is erased as part of a causal chain, or there is an infinite gap, and I'm afraid we may experientially live between these two things. The famous story is told, you know, Isaac Newton proposes his theory of the universe, and he believed in creation, but unfortunately, I don't think the creation he believed in was Christian, even though he was a good Anglican. He says the laws of science are up and running, and when God creates, he inserts the world into what is already existing, time and space. And so he thought the laws of the universe 
pre-existed creation. And then a man named Simon Pierre Laplace, you know, he writes his book on the universe and Napoleon actually is interested in his book and reads it and he says, but I don't find God in your theory. And Laplace's famous reply is, sir, we no longer have need of that hypothesis. That is, we just have the laws, and the laws are all we need. God, however, is not simply the cause of the world, but he is, he is the creator. And this is quite different, and I think we need to grasp this. He stands outside the being of the world. The world is not God, and that God is not present as part of the being of the world. And so to project the being of the world upon God, as in Thomism and much Western thought, I'm afraid it will end where Laplace describes it. You really don't need God in that system. Inevitably, God reduces to part of the furniture of the world. He's simply another link in the causal chain. And of course, if the chain is long enough, you just get rid of God. Creator and creation speak of a very different sort of God-world relation. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed, Hebrews says. That the visible came from the invisible. And what we're talking about is a personal creation and a personal creator. The creator-creation relationship, inclusive of the fact of course, that God sustains the world. In him, all things hold together and continue to hold together. Causality is impersonal. It's dead. Where creativity, bringing forth creation, is alive and life-bearing and far from a kind of blind causal force. Creation is guided by a person. And this person is working out his goals the creative goals. Creation has a telos, an end. It's going somewhere that pulls it forward. It's not simply a blunt cause at the beginning. And so as Christians, I believe we must acknowledge two things. And this is a little edgy here. God is creator by the fact of his nature. This is who he is. And nature is grounded in this fact about who God is. God's life, or who God is, is the creative person and not mere force behind creation. And God's life extends into the very breath or life at the center of the universe. This is what we see in Genesis. So God is not by chance or accident creator. But creator is God's nature. And the roots of the world's creation lie in God's eternity. It's usually considered that the world's creation is something non-essential, additional. This is in fact what I learned in seminary. I think it's wrong. I think it is not accidental. But it's part of who God is. It's thought that God did not have to become the creator. That he does not need the world. And of course at some level that's true. 
but to imagine that he could remain in the solitude and glory of his magnificence for eternity, I think is just to misunderstand who God is. And along with this notion that God became the creator at some point in time, there's not only a positing of a time, you know, before time, it's contradictory, but positing a difference between what is God is free to do and what is necessary for him to do. This is also contradictory. God's all simple essence is one and unchanging. And if God is the creator, he is the creator from all eternity. He has not changed. He's always creator. God is as part of his essence creator. And this means creation is included in God's life. Creation from nothing indicates creation's ground in the life of God. I believe that's what creation ex nihilo means. While creation may have its own sort of created being, the divine life and being are its ground. And so the world does not simply exist alongside God, though God has granted the world its own autonomy, but this autonomy arises directly from the work of God and arises from the intra-divine life, that is, the life of the Trinity, is expressed in creation. In turn, God is not limited by the world, but who he is extends into the world. Thus, we can see the fingerprints of God in the heavens. God is both God in himself and creator with a complete equal necessity in regard to his freedom and necessity. In other words, God cannot fail to be creator, just as the creator cannot fail to be God. And maybe in this sense, God cannot be or do without the world, and the world is necessary for God's very being. And to this extent, the world must be included in God's being in a certain sense, not in a pantheistic understanding. And so necessity and freedom, they're not opposed in God. And we can understand this even on a human scale. You know, when we talk about total freedom, how are you totally free? Well, not through resisting the will of God, but by submitting to his will, right? Then we become totally free. And this is true to our nature. So we have the kind of ironic situation in which our obedience to God and his will gives us total freedom. This necessity, we might call it, is freedom. And there's no antagonism. There's no contradiction. And so too, the divine nature ex exercises total freedom by acting in, in accord with his nature. And his nature is as creator. Thus, there is not a distinction in God, you know, between God the creator, God the redeemer. God can no more not create than he could not be God. It is his nature to create. And for this reason, we must consider inadmissible and contradictory, the kind of anthropomorphic principle that we say that God freely created, or accidentally, as it were, as if it were, you know, that God, oh, he was doing something else and then decided to create the world. And that the world, therefore, did not have to be created. 
This does not in any way mean that creation completes God or that the world is divine in a pantheistic fashion. But rather the way of coming to understand God's relationship to the world is in this, and I think we understand this in Christ. Christ is the ideal creature and the creator brought together. And Christ's incarnation is the dynamic goal being worked out. It's in process. That is, who he is is being made true for all of creation. And so creation has its own temporal creaturely being. The, the relationship, that is, between creator and creation, though, as found in Christ, is in process. This is what we call redemption, right? The world is being redeemed. But through Christ, God will be all in all. Redemption is the mode of the fulfillment of creation. And so what I'm describing, I think, is captured, first of all, in Christ, and then also in the biblical notion of wisdom. And so in the Bible, there are two portrayals of wisdom in a single verse, that God's wisdom is both uncreated and created. And I think we have to understand these two modes are brought together in Christ. Creation is founded on the wisdom of God, and this wisdom, or Sophia, as in Christ, has both its created and uncreated mode. And so look at Proverbs 8, 22 to 23. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way. Before his works of old, from everlasting, I was established from the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth. Wisdom, eternal and uncreated, is what's being described here, first puts forth its energy into the world, in creation, and then becomes incarnate and created. This wisdom is both, quote, from everlasting or from out of eternity, but then in the subsequent verses here in Proverbs, it is conceived or given birth or brought forth. As the NRSV translates it, the Lord created me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of long ago. God creates from out of himself, or to say the same thing, from out of nothing, right? Divine Sophia is the mode in which creation was brought forth. And it is through this wisdom that the divine foundation is provided. But this ground in eternity is not itself divine. In other words, what God is doing in Christ, he is doing in all of us and in all of creation. And let me close then by looking at Colossians 1, 16 to 20. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. There is the uncreated. He is also head of the body. There's the created the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, the incarnation. 
so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. There's redemption. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself. Here is the completion of creation in redemption. Having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Creation and its completion in redemption are through Christ. Divine and creaturely Sophia are joined perfectly in Christ. All things, John 1, 3 says, were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Heaven and earth, creator and creation, come together in Christ. The life of the word in the spirit pervades all creation, giving birth to the word, Christ, but in the spirit, then giving birth to the word, small w, in all of creation, giving being to the world. One and the same Spirit of God gives them both being, that is, the world and Christ. It's so what I've just described, I think, is not Gnosticism, it's not Platonism, it's not Aristotelianism, it's not Thomism, it's not Western Christianity as we often have it, where creation is an accident. But it is the explanation of how Christ saves. Reduplicating the hypostasis, you know, the divine and the human, of the firstborn in the extended family of God. The barrier between creator and creation, human and divine. But actually we could just go through all the antinomies, all of the antagonisms that arise in the world and they're bridged, they're brought together by Christ. He defeats the dualism. He defeats the antagonism. He defeats the alienation, the violence, definitive of the human condition. He is all in all. And this is the message of New Testament Christianity. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have found this podcast valuable, please remember to share on social media. If you have questions about what you've heard, or if you'd like to learn more about how you can get involved with Forging Plowshares or even support this ministry financially, please visit our website, forgingplowshares.org.